Hello, everybody. Welcome to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe. You're Suzanne Greer, right? Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We um, like it's no secret that cancer treatment is hard for a lot of reasons, but I think maybe financial hardship isn't necessarily the first thing that people think about, right? But it is no joke, and it is very common. In a lot of cases, it's very severe. Um, it can have a, a lot of negative effects on patients, their families, including in ways that maybe you hadn't thought about before. So our guest today, Dr. Robin Yabrov, um, who's our colleague, she's a senior scientific director of health services research here at the American Cancer Society. She is one of the leading experts in the field. So she talks about her really cool work and she talks about some of the ways that we're trying to, to make a change and how her work is having an effect at the research level, also at the policy level. Really cool conversation, Susanna. Yeah, this is so uh, illuminating to me. You know, Robin shared that cancer really is one of the most expensive conditions to treat. And I mean, there's a huge, as you might imagine, variability there based on the individual. So the kind of treatments that you undergo as a part of your cancer therapy, other conditions that you might have, you know, the long-term impacts on your healthcare and survivorship. But by and large, it is expensive. And one of the things that Robin really brought home to me is that no matter how she and her colleagues look at the financial picture around cancer, so the measure, the patient, so if someone is insured versus uninsured, the kinds of treatment that by and large, cancer seems to be the great equalizer that many of us who undergo a cancer diagnosis and a treatment for cancer will have financial impacts in one way or another. So bearing that in mind, the other thing that Robin shared with us is that these financial hardships that many of us will undergo during this cancer journey are, are toxic. So it just elevated the need to me for the research that she and her colleagues do, making it all the more important. Um, so one of the things that Robin helps us understand is how does what she does impact policy changes, which can then result in interventions that ultimately will decrease suffering? And here we're thinking about not only the suffering of the cancer itself, but one of the side effects. And here one of the side effects is on our finances. So I think that you will really enjoy this. I mean, to me, it, it was helpful and reassuring to know that there is this army of individuals out there that are helping us to think about the toxicities associated with cancer in this financial space and um, helping us to be better able to cope as a society. So let's listen to Robin. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, Susanna? I'm doing well. And thanks for asking. And most importantly, thanks for joining the podcast today. We are excited to hear from you because your area of expertise is so interesting to me, and I think will be to our audience as well. So we're going to talk about what sounds like a really complex topic, so I'm hoping you can really help us understand here. We're going to talk about the interactions and relationships between what you term in your field financial hardship and cancer. So 
One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that this is so interesting to me because as we have a win in one area and the win would be increased cancer survivorship. So more of us are surviving our cancers. We're having an impact in another area and this is where your area of expertise is. And that is that more of us as we survive cancer are impacted by the financial cost of cancer. So let's just level set. I need, we need some basics here. So compared to other diseases, is it expensive to have cancer? Can you just help us understand what we're dealing with here? Sure. Um, so cancer is one of the most expensive conditions to treat. And there's also a lot of variation in the costs of treating different types of cancer. And um, the variation reflects differences in um, use of surgery, radiation treatment, and systemic treatments, things like chemotherapy, targeted therapies, immunotherapy. Cancer survivors also have increased risk of additional cancers, and they're more likely to develop new conditions due to late and lasting effects of their treatment. And so when compared to similar individuals without a cancer history, cancer survivors have greater healthcare spending, including out-of-pocket costs even many years following a cancer diagnosis. Hmm, that's tough. So if I understood what you said correctly, it sounds like this this is a really challenging space. So you indicated that cancer is really expensive. You said one of the most actually expensive mm -hmm. conditions to treat. And I think you laid that out into two broad categories and that there are treatments for cancer, which are amazing. We've made some incredible, incredible advances in the way we treat cancer, but along with that has come cost. Um, associated with some of those treatments, with many of them. And then, so that's in the moment. And then you also indicated that as we survive cancer, our, our risk for the long-term impact and effects on our health also come with costs associated with that. So I, I think I'd like to dive just a little bit deeper because one of the things that I read that you've written a lot about and others in your field is that this term that we would call financial hardship actually breaks down into lots of different categories. And I'm sure there are more than just three, but I've read that there are three kind of major categories that you've written about. The mm -hmm. first is material, and then there's psychological and coping. So can you help us understand what does that mean? What, what does material and psychological and coping mean in terms of financial hardship? Maybe you could share some examples. Sure. Um, so we, we tend to think about financial hardship using a framework in part because it helps us to measure the prevalence of these, these different types of financial hardship, but also to think about how best to structure interventions to address some of the underlying problems. So material, um, material financial hardship includes things like high out-of-pocket costs, problems paying bills and medical debt, Psychological, the psychological domain includes stress and worry about the financial situation. And then the behavioral domain or coping behaviors um, are those behaviors that can be used to cope with financial challenges, including delaying or forgoing needed care because of cost. And a lot of research within the behavioral domain has been conducted uh, related to prescription drug use and not filling prescriptions, splitting pills, or 
not taking prescriptions as prescribed, and that's also known as cost-related non-adherence. So this is, this is complex. There's a lot happening here mm -hmm. for an individual cancer patient and their support system, their family and friends, where you're thinking about the bills that come in the mail and maybe just kind of holding your breath as you open them, the debt that an individual may accrue because of an inability to pay the bills, um, all of the stress and worry that comes along with that. And then what do you do? How do you, how do you as an individual and you, that just actually broke my heart a little bit when you mentioned um, like cutting back on the medication or mm. uh, splitting pills. I mean, that's just, a, a tough, harsh reality. So thank you for making that so, that image so vivid. Um, so when we think about all of us, unfortunately, will be impacted by cancer. Either we will have a friend or a loved one who has cancer, is a survivor, or we ourselves will have a cancer diagnosis. So I'm interested in understanding how many of us, how many cancer patients are impacted by one of these different measures, or I guess by financial hardship. Is this mm -hmm. pretty common or is this something that you're like, oh, Susanna, it's like 1% of cancer patients? Oh, unfortunately, it, it is very common. When we try and estimate its prevalence, we generally separate populations that are adult populations that are 65 and over and those that are a little bit younger, in part because those who are 65 and over have um, are more likely to be retired, and they also are age eligible for health insurance through the Medicare program. They also have higher prevalence of comorbidity than younger populations. Conversely, the younger population and adults age 18 to 64 most commonly have health insurance through their employer. And that is the population where there's the highest percentage of uninsured. So having said that about the important differences by age group, among adults 18 to 64, more than half report at least one type of medical financial hardship. So that means they're having problems paying their medical bills, they have high out-of-pocket costs, they're distressed and worried about their financial position, or they're they're making changes in their care because of costs. So they're delaying or forgoing care altogether. In that age group, 11% report all three types of medical financial hardship. And the older group, it's a little bit lower. About 43% report at least one type of medical financial hardship, 13% report at least two, and 4% report all three types of hardship. Oh, those are tough numbers, Robin. Um, I know. So you, that's interesting. I don't know that we would have expected what you just shared, that it seems like younger patients are more impacted on average, right? This is mm -hmm. looking at an average group, but more impacted or more likely to be impacted by financial hardships associated with cancer. So could you, and you mentioned one, you mentioned that this group is most likely to be uninsured. So maybe help us understand those risks. What are the particular risks that are associated with this population that make them so vulnerable for mm -hmm. 
falling into each of those three categories of or that framework that you so nicely to lay out for us around mm-hmm. you know, how you kind of compartmentalize financial hardship. So that that younger group, those that are age 18 to 64, most of them receive health insurance, private health insurance coverage through their employer. But not all of those who work have things like paid sick leave. And many cancer patients require time off from work to complete their treatment. And so any time off from work can also mean loss of income for a cancer patient and their family. It can also mean higher risk of medical financial hardship as a result because their income is lower, yet their out-of-pocket outlays for medical care are higher. The health insurance coverage is very important as well. Because for the working age population in the United States, most health insurance is through the employer. So for those who are no longer able to work, getting health insurance, getting and maintaining health insurance through their employer becomes much more difficult. I will also say that some of the challenges we're seeing with the COVID pandemic are likely to amplify these problems in that widespread unemployment widespread loss of health insurance coverage will also make it more difficult for cancer patients and survivors um, in terms of paying medical bills, worry and stress about their financial situation, and then finally delaying or forgoing care because of cost. That's interesting that this population is so vulnerable. I mean, it makes perfect sense, everything that you Mm -hmm. said, that younger people generally, because if you are younger, you are potentially earlier in your career and more in an Mm -hmm. asset building stage. And so your income is potentially lower if you're 25 versus 65 or, you know, at the very end of a career. Um, And then I think everything that you shared around being privately insured and the risks that come with that, the risks that come with depending on the type of job you have. So if you are working at a job where maybe you have insurance, but you, but that comes, it's restrictive. Yeah. You end like one category you gave is what if you don't have paid sick leave and if you are undergoing cancer treatment, you're going to accrue you know, time off work, maybe even lose your job. And then if you lose your insurance on top of that, it's really hard to put a package mm-hmm. back together to find that coverage that would have a safety net, I think would be a word mm-hmm. that we could associate with what we would hope would happen during uh, cancer occurrence. So I guess it would be interesting to know. So a lot of things that you've mentioned have kind of swarmed around health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a real area where you've, you've had a lot of impact and a lot of expertise. So help us understand, well, maybe <laughs> we don't have a six hour podcast, but just in a <laughs> nutshell, Right. Are we what is happening? I guess maybe you could compare these two groups with the um, younger cancer patients. And then you had categorized um, cancer patients from 18 to 64 and then 65 and older. Maybe can you share with us in general, are we paying more or less out of pocket for cancer treatments and tie that into the insurance picture for us? That's 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 a really great question. So increasingly, there have been a number of trends in the past decade or so where health insurers are increasingly um, 
shifting the costs of ca of cancer treatment, but all treat all medical care to patients with higher deductibles. And that's the amount that is paid before insurance coverage begins. Copayments, and that's that flat rate or that flat number um, a patient will pay for a doctor visit or for um, a consult. And then coinsurance, which is a percentage of the list price of treatment or of a service. And so, for example, um, some cancer drugs, which are oral prescription drugs, are covered on what's called a specialty tier of most health insurance. And a common coinsurance rate is 30%. And so if the list price of a cancer drug is $100,000, then the coinsurance rate, that 30%, would mean that the patient would be responsible for $30,000 for that treatment. Wow. And and that is just one component of care. Most cancer patients, in addition to receiving systemic treatment, also receive um, things like supportive agents, scans, outpatient visits. So it, it's just one component. So that is something that, that is happening a lot with health insurance coverage. But even, so that's even individuals who have health insurance coverage can face substantial out-of-pocket costs. Those without health insurance coverage can be responsible for the entire bill. So it seems that what we might have thought of as being a safety net. So if you if you are if you have health insurance and you have a cancer diagnosis, it still can be a scary place from a financial aspect. I mean, you mentioned things. I'm, I I was sitting there thinking as you listed off all the ways that a cancer patient would be expected to write a check. You, list, mm -hmm. you mentioned the deductible might be higher. So all of a sudden you might be expected to pay X thousands of dollars before insurance kicks in. And then on top of that, co-payments were increasing. And I'm thinking of all the doctor's visits that a cancer mm -hmm. patient might have. And you might go to the doctor six times in a week or 10 times or you know, however, and every time if you're shelling out 10 or 25 or $50, and those numbers add up really quickly. Um, yeah you know, touch on like things like parking and all the other things, babysitting and elder care. And so it's just, it's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. It is. It's also a number of studies are showing that these, you know, the burden for patients and their families is cumulative. So even, even patients with what we would consider to be good private health insurance coverage, they may not be experiencing financial hardship within the first month or two of treatment, but by 12 months after treatment has started, recent studies showed 75% of cancer survivors reported um, things like having to refinance their house, taking out major debt, or having a change in income of at least 20% in the prior 12 months. Wow, those so, are Startling. Those are big numbers. Yes, they are. Yeah. And it makes sense because of all the things that you listed that mm -hmm. if you potentially had a job and good insurance at the beginning, and then because of the treatments that you were on, you might have lost wages, uh, mm -hmm. lost income. And then, so your financial picture might be quite different 12 months out. So this is a complex problem that is 
very individualized, but yet has some, I think, really interesting and unique trends where eventually we're going to take a more positive tone and and think about interventions. But Mm -hmm. first, I guess, because you sit in this space all the time, I'm really wondering if there are some of these relationships, like the ones you just described, between cancer and cancer patients and financial hardships. Is there anything about these relationships that have really surprised you or stood out? That's another really good question. Um, I, I, I'm almost surprised by the consistency of findings, regardless of what patient population, um, the time since diagnosis, like are, are, are we thinking about long-term survivors or people more recently diagnosed and treated? Um, the type of measure of financial hardship. I mean, the findings are really pretty consistent that financial hardship is a big problem for cancer patients and survivors. The other finding I thought was very intriguing is um, a study conducted in Washington State um, where cancer registry information was linked to bankruptcy filings and cancer survivors who filed for bankruptcy had higher rates of mortality than cancer survivors who did not file for bankruptcy. And this study controlled for a lot of really important details like stage of disease at diagnosis, age, cancer treatment, and findings were very robust. So the, you know, understanding how Filing for bankruptcy can be associated with greater risk of death is is an area where we need a lot more research and obviously a lot of intervention to um, potentially prevent these adverse health consequences of financial hardship. Wow, that's so interesting what you said. As you were talking, I was thinking everything you have said has indicated to me that cancer is a great equalizer when it comes to financial hardship, because Mm. I mean, you shared that it just doesn't matter in some ways where you start in this journey that many people end up in a place where they will have financial impact of cancer. And you said, it really doesn't matter the measure we look at or the patient population or the treatment at some point many cancer patients and survivors will be impacted by financial Mm. hardship. So To me, there's a piece of good news here is that we have realized the incredible importance of this challenge. So many people are impacted. Most of us, we are on the cancer journey, will be impacted in some way or another, no matter where we start. And that, oh, that study that you said from Washington State is just heartbreaking. I mean, that really Mm -hmm. shows us that these financial hardships are toxic in a way above and beyond the cancer diagnosis itself. So there is no, there's no easy solution. If there were, we wouldn't have this podcast. You'd be all <laughs> doing those things or doing something else uh, because this, this problem would have been solved. So, but there are interventions that you and your colleagues are interested in and optimistic about. So can you share with us where you think mm-hmm you have the potential and your colleagues um, and the American Cancer Society to have the greatest impact and what is obviously a usually significant problem. Well, you know, 
Many of the underlying causes of financial hardship are multidimensional. So there are things at the patient, the provider, the community, state and health policy, and also employer levels that are related to whether or not and how severe financial hardship is for patients and their families. So any solution should be multidimensional and multi-level as well. One um, area that we tend to focus on a lot at the American Cancer Society is related to health insurance coverage, in part because it's modifiable. And so, for example, my colleague, Dr. Ju Sung Han, recently led a study using data from all 50 states and the District of Columbia and found that survivors who live in states that expanded Medicaid, they were less likely to report care unaffordability than similar survivors living in Medicaid non-expansion states. Additionally, any disparities by socioeconomic characteristics like income, employment, those disparities diminished in Medicaid expansion states, but not in non-expansion states. So that's helpful evidence that broad policy interventions can have a large impact on a large number of patients and their families. And when those interventions, those large policy level interventions are coupled with employer level interventions like workplace accommodations, allowing patients to work from home, allowing different work schedules, offering health insurance coverage and paid sick leave, working cancer patients and their caregivers may be better able to complete care, better able to maintain employment and suffer less economic loss. And then importantly, ongoing provider discussions about expected cost of care. I think, you know, these these conversations are really important to have with all patients because the providers focus only on patients that appear to be socioeconomically disadvantaged. They may stigmatize those patients. Additionally, if they neglect patient, neglect to have conversations about the expected cost of care with patients who appear to be socioeconomically advantaged, they may not they may not be able to identify those patients who may actually be suffering um, financial and economic challenges. So it's really important to have these conversations um, on an ongoing basis with all patients. I love that you highlighted the patient piece here and how the impact can change and may change the financial impact of cancer over the course of a diagnosis and treatment. And a, a parallel thread that I was thinking of in my mind was that the work that you do is ongoing. Um, <laughs> um, kind of if I had to think about a, so I'm a scientist as well, so I think about things as equations a lot. So it seems that a lot of what you've said today is that this research that you and your colleagues do drives changes in policy, which can lead to interventions, which ultimately decrease suffering, in this case, suffering from financial hardships. So one thing that if you're not a scientist, you may not sit around thinking about all the time is what happens? You know, how, how do we actually make the sausage? And uh, one common thread for scientists is that we publish our findings. So help us to understand when Robin 
is publishing her work. Um, what happens next? So what's the next piece? How do you fit into that equation that I laid out of research and policy and interventions and the impact that we hope to have on suffering? So how might, maybe you could share with us how your findings might be used in general, and you, you've talked a lot about that, but perhaps there's one thing you're particularly excited about or, or maybe a specific example of how your research has implemented something along that hate that individual patient experience that will ultimately mm -hmm. right change the way that someone experiences cancer. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of this, a lot of our work, um, some of our work in fact is descriptive and we, and we do spend a lot of time documenting um, different aspects of financial hardship. And so, for example, we've had a couple studies where we estimated the percentage of oncologists who discuss the costs of treatment with patients. And similarly, the percentage of patients who report ever having a single discussion with any, at least any discussion with any provider at any point after their diagnosis. And in both cases, it's pretty low. Um, it's about 25%. And, you know, because this is such an important topic, by having estimates of how frequently some of these cost of care conversations occur, it can draw attention to the fact that it needs to be improved. So, for example, by not only publishing these data, but also by presenting at conferences, talking with reporters, um, talking with policymakers, it helps to highlight the fact that, that this is an area that can be improved. Another more recent example is a number of our research studies have shown that um, different aspects of the Affordable Care Act, also known as the ACA, have reduced financial hardship in um, cancer survivors. So for example, a recent study showed that patients or survivors living in Medicaid expansion states were less likely to report financial hardship than similar survivors in non-expansion states. And so these data highlighting the importance of health insurance coverage were included in an amicus brief to the Supreme Court for a case that's currently pending. So a lot of a lot of our research can be very useful for policymakers in understanding um, the magnitude of some of the problems that cancer survivors face, and then also call attention for the need to address those problems. That's outstanding. I mean, what, what a great feeling to know that mm -hmm. there's this huge challenge. But the work that the American Cancer Society is doing is educating and driving policies, which ultimately may result in some pretty incredible interventions. Um, I mean, the, the ACA is a really wonderful example. So congratulations mm -hmm. to you. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that is the goal of our research is, is, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's engaging and informative in and of itself, but the main goal is 
to identify things that are actionable and that can improve the care and outcomes for cancer patients and their families. So if I'm a cancer patient or a caregiver, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I would be awfully glad that there's an army of folks out there who have realized the magnitude of the challenge of financial hardship and are working really hard to be impactful in this space. But I might also want to know what can I do or how can the American Cancer Society help me right now? So are there particular resources that you'd like to highlight for our listeners that the ACS provides to help Mm -hmm. cancer survivors? So the American Cancer Society on its website, cancer.org, lists a number of resources that are available for um, cancer patients and caregivers. And there are also both phone and live chat options for people who have specific questions. So those, those are very important resources for cancer patients and their families. Well, Robin, just one last question. So many of our listeners are individuals who are impacted by cancer, um, be they patients or survivors or caregivers. Um, is there a message you would like to share with this group in particular? I think the main, um, I think one of the main takeaways from this body of research is that financial hardship is common and it can be cumulative. Um, and it, it's not just medical care. It can also be a result of lost income during work uh, for both patients and their families. I think it's very important for cancer patients and their families to have ongoing conversations with their care providers about the benefits and costs of treatment and to explicitly discuss any financial challenges or stresses because these can have adverse health consequences. That's a great message to end on, Robin, and just thank you. We appreciate all the work that you've done to draw attention to an enormous area of need and wish you the best of luck as you continue to work towards improvements in this space. So take care. Thank you. I hope, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.